say, Colin? <laughs> you know, for me, you're in the future. Like, uh, like a man on the moon or in a tin pan. Welcome to the Eat Radio Podcast. And here's your host, Colin Pope from Eat Magazine. Hi, and welcome back to the Eat Magazine podcast. If it's your first time here, I just wanted to say thank you for joining us. You can get more details on this podcast from eatmag, E-A-T-T-M-A-G dot com. And just before we jump into it, uh, we're here outside the Library of New South Wales, outside uh, an exhibition that, uh, well, really, uh, it's about to close. Uh, but we wanted to capture because we thought it was such an important story and uh, it's got some real history to it as we begin our Sydney series, making our way around Sydney. And just before we get into it, a special thank you to all of our listeners in Australia, of course, China, New Zealand, Fiji, United Kingdom, India, Japan, Mexico, Canada, Israel, Ireland, Sweden, France, Brazil, and the Netherlands, just to name a few. A welcome to you all. Great to have you with us. And with that, we'll jump straight into it now at the State Library here in Sydney. Hi, it's Callan here from the Eat Magazine podcast, and I'm very fortunate today to be with Sarah Morley, one of the curators here at the gallery. Hi, Sarah, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Good. Now, I understand that you, uh, not only have you been running the Garden Palace tours, uh, but you've had a bit of an obsession over the whole story? I have, I have. Look, it started years ago when I first came to the library and um, a colleague gave me a book about the Garden Palace and I said, well, let's go and see it. And she looked at me like I was an idiot. And um, and then I quickly realised this palace isn't there. It hasn't been there for 100 years, 134 this year. But um, when I heard Jonathan was doing his installation, um, I met up with him and sort of said, what could we do uh, here at the library? And we have a fantastic collection of images here at the library and manuscripts, printed books, the whole thing. So it was a wonderful opportunity for me to be able to pull out items in our collection on the Garden Palace to give a visual reference point to what Jonathan was doing in, in the gardens. Um, so obsession, yes, over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, I've been just finding things and, and storing them away in my brain for one day I'll be able to show that. So. It, it was great to be able to do these tours in our and of, of the exhibition. Brilliant. I guess for me, I kind of felt a, a huge sense of sadness before mm. I approached this story, and mm. I actually didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, but then I, I guess after reading about Jonathan's work, of which you know a little bit about, do you want to just, we will be talking to Jonathan at mm. some stage later, but do you want sure. to just talk? a little bit to the kind of story that he's managed to unfold for people. Absolutely. His project is just amazing and it's uh, a visual interpretation of the Garden Palace, which was a building that was built for the International Exhibition in 1879. Um, Where Jonathan comes in is um, there was, it was burnt down three years later in 1882 and in the building at the time was 
a huge amount of ethnographical specimens, Aboriginal specimens. Uh, so Jenith, Jonathan is um, celebrating those items. Obviously they were lost, but it's about um, acknowledging their loss and how do we move forward? How do we, how do we recognise that those items are now in land, on, in country that they don't belong? Because these specimens were collected from all around New South Wales. They're not just Gadigal um, people's objects. They're from all, all around all the eastern coast, southeastern coast of, of the country. And Jonathan has chosen to visualise those uh, with shields made from gypsum. There are four different types or shapes of shields representing the areas that objects were from around the, around the state. And um, they're almost laid out, they're, although they're in the perimeter, and so the aerial shots are phenomenal to, right. to see the aerial shots of Barangal Diara, but also the, they, the way they're laid out is almost like to represent the rubble uh, after the building, uh, after the fire. So it's, it's just amazing on so many levels. There are recordings of Aboriginal languages that Jonathan worked with from our collection of the, from the Aboriginal language lists that we have here at the library mm -hmm. and had communities come and record those and they're playing throughout the installation as well. So there's quite a few synergies with the library's collection and, and what Jonathan was, was trying to do. And have you had, uh, I guess when we looked at some of the photographs of the building upstairs and, and the collection of things that, that you put together, it looked like there was such a sense of pride inside the exhibition itself. Definitely. It must have been an incredible event. It, it was, it came to the colony, it was just a really amazing event a source of pride, a source of it brought such um, wealth to the to the colony, and it was it was about showing the world that we were no longer uh, a penal colony. We we'd moved forward from that and achieved so much with our our buildings, our structures, our what we were our, our manufacturing processes. We we were developing and and can hold our could hold our own as a nation and and I think that's what what it was about showing showing the rest of the world that we weren't the poor cousins anymore. Right. Yeah. So I guess it was really putting Sydney on the map. It did. It, it did. Well? And I think the feeling around around Sydney at the time would have been not unlike the Olympics um, to the, in two thousand. Right. Just a real energy. It brought people from around the world here to see see the exhibition, um, which would have brought meant a lot to the tourism industry but it meant that Sydney as a town could improve their infrastructure there was a, um, a steam tramway put in from Redfern to, to transport visitors into the exhibition which was meant to be temporary but ended up staying and, and grew from there <laughs> yeah. um, it was a real um, opportunity for, for Sydney right mm. and I understand that uh, there was a whole it was a whole structure around tickets of prices. That's right. Things, that's that? right. Yeah. Look, you could either buy a season pass, which was three pounds three shillings, um, which was quite a lot of money back then. But um, it meant that you had unlimited access to the exhibition whilst it was open, uh, or you could buy a day pass, which th again that that started off at five shillings, but throughout the period of the exhibition um, dropped, and by November it dropped even still and by the end it was one shilling to gain entrance to the 
exhibition. One interesting thing about the um, the season passes that I found interesting was that there are photographs. The season pass holder has their photograph on on the pass, and they came in a little. Um, issued with a little leather envelope or a little leather wallet to um, display wow. it. Yeah. And so what year was that then? That was, so that was in 1879. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is the first sort of ID in a way. For well, it was a form of ID. Exactly. Yeah, I just okay. thought it was interesting to go to that, that level of, um, level of formality really yeah, to, to okay. be asking people for identification, but. I didn't, maybe that was common. Yeah, interesting. And how people reacted to the exhibition inside here? Because I know there was a lot of interesting artefacts there. And as I arrived, people were sort of dragging you away, wanting to show you things, sure. very excited about different elements. Yeah. How people responded that you didn't expect and sort of surprised you? Look, I've, every time I've done a tour, I've uh, done a quick poll to see who's aware of the Garden Palace. Right. And generally, it's about 50% have... Okay. have have a knowledge of varying degrees that it existed. Um, when I leave, when people leave, they're always, wow, I didn't know that about this. Because there's, there's so many different aspects, whether it's the construction, because it was, it was built to be a temporary structure for the exhibition. So it was built in under eight months, which is, you don't get that today, a building <laughs> of that size. Um, that's huge. Um, obviously it was built out of materials um, which may have led, Led, led to the fire or, or contributed to to how quickly it went up in flames but it was primarily it had a, a brick foundation primarily wood and corrugated iron with a bit of glass so there's that aspect and and we've documented um, we have images of the um, the government printing office have documented the building um, as uh, during the construction phase so that's interesting because it shows you can see the dates of which how quickly the building went up right, um, yeah. and then you, we've got images of in the exhibition how packed it was how there were 34 countries exhibiting and their colonies but they were laid out in courts but they were it was not spacious it was pri space was a premium and they had items from all over the world just packed in there i, I noticed that i could see one image tasmania had their block and i think <laughs> yeah. new zealand had yeah. their block and so yeah. people it was a really it was a really packed yes kind of, uh, there wasn't a lot of not a lot of room breathing space right. no yeah. no but what they had um so there was the basement which didn't cover the whole building but it sort of goes with the lay of the land in the gardens for anyone that is familiar with with that space in the gardens it's sort of on a on a bit of an outcrop but they built the building around the land and so half of the basement there's only half a basement really right sure. because of the shape of the okay. land um, so there was a tea room in the bottom there for refreshments and also some of the the heavy machinery was down there right yeah. I guess it must have also been it's such a shock for people how long had the building been there before it okay it was only there for three years right. so the exhibition right. was there for uh seven months but then after that it was repurposed and although right. it was planned to be a temporary building mm. i think the new south wales government said oh we're not taking this down now we can mm. use this this mm. humongous space mm. and they had government uh departments were in in the bottom of the building there were they repurposed it for exhibitions there were concerts a concert hall there was um, museums with the linnaeus um, linnaean society had a museum right. there and a library okay. the um, precursor to the powerhouse museum oh, really? was there yeah. now that what's heartbreaking is that they had a collection that they'd been collecting since the beginning of the exhibition at least and they were all set up ready to go ready to open in december 
but it burnt down in in, in um, right. September yeah. of that year. So that was devastating to, yeah. to lose. I mean, amazing what was lost. All of those ethnographic specimens that were collected from the exhibition, they were lost. The, there were so many government records. It was almost negligent to be housing that many government records in one place, right. given that the building had um, was so almost like a tinderbox, so to speak. Yeah. Was, you know. uh, that's right. And I know that uh, the curator for the um, for all of the indigenous artifacts. Uh, he was very reluctant to bring those over and he was very reluctant about displaying them. <laughs> there was yeah, a whole story here. So yeah. obviously he had some sixth sense in a From way. From the Australian Museum? <laughs> yes. Right. So. Oh, it must, be heart, heart, must have been heartbreaking yeah, for him to yeah. hear of the fire. It's, um, so many artefacts were lost, irre- irreplaceable, and the impact on, on the Aboriginal communities was... Uh, you just can't imagine. Right. And I guess the other thing was Jonathan's work. I've just been walking around there. I spoke with him very briefly. But I just think, I guess one of the things that probably a lot of people struggled with, that I certainly struggled with, is I didn't really have any perspective. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any idea of where it sat on mm-hmm. the land. Okay. I didn't have any idea of the size. I didn't have any any kind of view. And as you said, those aerial shots oh, completely bring it into focus. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. I, can, I can say for people that are aware of the space in Sydney. The State Library is situated on the perimeter of the Botanic Gardens. So the building went from almost right out front of the library, right. all the way through the gardens, right down to the what is the Conservatorium of Music. Right. So those buildings, sure. the State Library is still there and the, the Conservatorium was there at the time, but it was the, the government stables. Right. So those two buildings are still there. So that's a reference point to see that is how big that building was. It, right. it yeah. was huge. Yeah. yeah. And I guess for you, you must have, uh, this must have been an incredible opportunity, really. Uh, what, do you, what started your curiosity I do, I, all those years ago? Look, I have a fascination for old buildings of Sydney and we have um, open, Sydney Open Day where you can go behind the scenes right. in buildings. I think it's annually or biannually. And, um, and I, I'm fascinated by that. To find, so to find this building was there and now it's not. I find it amazing that the collective memory of the state of New South Wales, how could they forget this? How could they forget this building? Why isn't there something more permanent like Jonathan's exhibition right. installation there. Why, how could we not know about this? Mm. So the more you dig, I, I find it's become an obsession because once you start reading the newspapers of the day or the, dare I say it, the legislative assembly records where there's various politicians slinging off at one another saying, how could you let this happen? This has been lost and this has been lost and this has been lost. It's they're fascinating and I'm, I've read recently about a um, after the fire there was a safe that had been displayed in the international exhibition by Milner and Sons with a manufacturer and um, it was a fireproof safe. Right. So what better way to test um, <laughs> that manufacturer's um, claims than to have it burn right. in a um, fire of that magnitude. Right. So the the safe was in the basement of the garden palace and it had government it was in one of the government departments and it had documents in the safe 
So after the fire, they were trawling through the, the remnants and they came to this safe. And there were a few safes there and they'd opened some of them and generally the contents of those safes were charred, Char- charred remains. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. For one reason or another, they gave this safe extra time to cool down. They had people come in. There was the chief superintendent of the fire brigade. There was a representative from police. Mm. And I think everybody stood with bated breath over the contents of this safe. And they opened it. And to everybody's astonishment, the contents of that safe was relatively unscathed exactly so there was a plan of the international exhibition there were ledgers and journals that sort of thing and then some of the glues on the books had had, um, melted but generally the 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 pages were unscathed so what a what an advertisement for milner and son's fireproof safe yeah and i saw (laughs) one of the photos i guess was uh, it it was uh, from a cane a sugar cane a company and so they had sugar for rum and they had sugar for this and sugar for that and i guess in that whole victorian yeah. Era, there would have been the odd snake charmer there as yeah. well, just so to speak. There would have been people with potions and there uh, were. Uh, new inventions, mm. all this new mm. technology, mm. new gardening technology, yep. all of that Victorian stuff would have been there as well. Exactly. Yeah. There was, well, as I said, 34 countries and their colonies. So there were Turkish rugs, there were watches from, you know, Swiss watches, there were produce there were they bought um sheep from france and england um to to parade in the parade ground and had um displays of people shearing sheep which apparently the international visitors thought very interesting to see the (laughs) techniques that were used in australia um but inside there was almost you name it it was there and what i find interesting is uh, with from a technological and manufacturing point of view they had um they were there were displays of how this machinery works and so they had people printing newspapers and um, they had um, people showing how machinery was operational in the hope that you'd go back to your country and say we need one of these fantastic yeah. and there was a bit of competition between sydney and melbourne as well mm, wasn't there? that's right so that's right tell us a little bit about sure that? look the foundation stones for both the Sydney International Exhibition and the Melbourne Exhibition were laid around about the same time. So they were going hell for leather to get those exhibitions buildings up. Sydney had the first one, obviously. Um, But it it kind of worked well because exhibitors could bring out, spend the money to bring these items out, exhibit them in Sydney, and then send them straight down to Melbourne rather than turn around and go back home. So that that worked out well. What I do love that our exhibition hall doesn't exist anymore, but you can go to the one in Melbourne. It's still there. Yeah, and, and it's I, a you bit know, of a favourite space for me, the gardens Yeah, there as well. I think it's really uh, special. I was down in Melbourne last year and I had to leave an ex- a, a, a conference that I was at and they wanted to know where I was going. And I had to just sort of sheepishly say, I'm going to a tour of, <laughs> of the Garden Palace. And they said, what? I said, I'm going to a tour of the Garden Palace. And they looked at me because they don't call it the Garden Palace. They call it the international, the, the exhibition building down there. Whereas to me, it's just another version of our Garden Palace, which, which it, it isn't. But it gives you enough insight into what the building must have been like inside up here. We have photographs, but they're not in colour. So to be able to come down to your exhibition building in Melbourne is super special because yeah, they've done all the painting, all the restored 
support it to the best of their ability. And to hear the issues they were having with acoustics and the organs down there, I believe were very similar to the issues they were having up here. So it's, you know, it's good to know that we weren't, we were all on the same page same relatively. Page, that's right. Yeah. And I guess the other thing is, I suppose, really when uh, you look at it, because of your work here, Jonathan's work, the other work at the Botanic Gardens, even though these exhibitions are here for a certain amount of time, I guess there's a lot more information online now, isn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely. So there's been a real documentation in order to kind of bring that up to speed so people can hear about the story. Definitely. Is that right? Definitely. We have um, a story online on our website, the State Library of New South Wales website. It's a Garden Palace story, and that's it's fantastic because it's an opportunity for us to put up more information and more images. So we, we've digitised a fair amount of images from mm. our collection, lots of photographs, uh, digitised objects from, from the collection relating to the Garden Palace. And so that's wonderful because we've got all of those images up in viewers. There's stories there in chapters relating to the various chapters of the building's history. Right. Um, and there's, uh, I think there might even be some recordings there. So that doubled with um, Jonathan Jones's videos. I know that Caldor have recorded his Spotfire symposiums right. and they're available online. Okay. And they were fantastic. Um, the idea behind those Spotfire symposiums was that the Garden Palace fire set off Spotfires throughout the eastern suburbs and and I think Jonathan was trying to say, well, let's start those fires, let's start those little pockets of conversation and get these ideas out there and get people talking, um, whether it be about the, the Garden Palace, the ethnographic collections that were lost, just raising awareness and getting people talking. So they, they, there were three symposiums, they're all recorded and, and available online. And I think Jonathan's um, recorded some snippets um, that he's got up online just uh, on the Barungal Diara project itself. Right. So, so it's yep. great. Okay, brilliant. And we'll certainly give those uh, details as well so great. people can go there and have Wonderful. a look at that. Look, that's good. I guess just uh, wrapping up in a sense, uh, I suppose for you personally this has been kind of a big journey in a way mm. uh, and it's been wonderful to sort of share that now when when you look forward uh, in terms of I guess being able to not only tell the story online but also uh, be able to kind of bring people into the gallery to see other things that are here on a perennial basis what's coming up or what's around over the next the next 12 months that's that's here that would be of perennial interest to people that are just coming for the first time to the gallery. Sure. Look, um, unfortunately, we're going to be refurbishing the Mitchell Galleries right, okay. um, over the next 12 months. Sure. So what the Garden Palace and the... Um, and the Planting Dreams exhibitions will be our last ones for 12 right. months. Yep. So I say unfortunately, but it's a fantastic opportunity for the library to improve our, our spaces right. and it'll be a, an internationally renowned space for exhibitions here right. in Sydney. Yep. Um, so the, our teams are working frantically on planning those spaces right. yep. and planning those exhibitions for the, the big opening at the end of next year. Right. Um, and that's that's what we're working on but as to further details you'll have to watch this space brilliant so people can go to the website yeah absolutely definitely right, definitely brilliant. look thank you so much for your time really thank appreciate you. it i know you've got a very busy schedule oh thank and, you uh, we really appreciate look, you any time for the garden palace come okay brilliant thank you so much Cheers. thanks
thanks for joining us for that time with Sarah. I mean, fantastic, of course. Uh, you know, uh, exhibitions move on and uh, there's a lot of new things happening now at the library. But I put a lot of links in this podcast so that you could really, I guess, have a look around. Uh, there was a lot of people fascinated by this story and have, have written a lot of things. There's a lot of images. And of course, you can get more details at www.sl.org nsw.gov.au and of course I really encourage you to make your way to the library if you're coming to Sydney from anywhere in the world and um, uh, just fascinating for me uh, really you know when you think about the whole story you know it started over 135 years ago uh, and of course this building was massive two and a half million bricks uh, and really much of it uh, could be finished within eight months because of the electricity really that had been bought in electric lighting actually uh, not electricity but electric lighting had been important from England and so that allowed for this construction laid into the night uh, and of course there's some links through to uh, Jonathan's story as well and there's plenty of other material inside uh, the podcast here so if you click through to those links and there's some great images as well so we look forward to you joining us again shortly as we make our way around Sydney really looking at some of the history uh, and there's a few surprises coming up as well so we look forward to you joining us there wherever you are listening to us from on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher and all of those other platforms great to have you with us and we look forward to you joining us again soon cheers if you're a listener in the US you can simply text the word EATMAG which is E-A-T-T-M-A-G and if you want that in echo uh, art, technology, travel M for Maggie A for Apple G for Grapple uh, it's EATMAG and you can text that if you're in the US now to 1480-418-1411 if you're in Australia you simply text the word EATMAG to 61428-479-700 if you're in the United Kingdom in the UK, Scotland, England, Wales you can text Ireland as well you can text EATMAG to 44 7903567718. And if you're in Canada, you can simply text EATMAG to 1587-800-4323. And you can just replay those numbers. I know it sounds like there's a lot of numbers in there, but wherever you are, you can just text EATMAG from those four countries if you're in there, and we'll um, send you some instructions, and you can basically subscribe to our updates that way. So really pleased to finally get that off the ground, and uh, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.